Welcome back, everybody. Today is the Q&A episode, and today's co-host is, again, Ivan. How you doing, Ivan? How you doing, everybody? So um, I got a lot of questions, or just a bunch of questions, from uh, people uh, from email. Uh, actually, mostly from email. And even when they uh, gave in the questions, they don't give the full names, which is fine. They just want to remain anonymous. They want to remain anonymous, correct. The way that we're going to do this, I'm going to have Ivan read off the questions, and I am going to answer them, obviously. All right. You want to start? Yeah. Okay, All right. Let's go. So this first question here is from Alan, and okay. he says, can you ask your seafood, Richard Torres, about the urban legend of the Filipino martial artist named Trovador Ramos beating Bruce Lee? I've heard about this as a small boy, but looking at the art of Ramos and the JKD, I think it's all hogwash. Search the internet, and the guy even spoke about how he used broken rhythm mm. when he beat grossly in a sparring match. I found this question, actually, on one of our discussion boards on YouTube. And to be honest, I never knew there was a discussion board on the YouTube page because <laughs> it's not like I don't look at it. It's just, I just somehow found it. And I'm like, oh, someone left the question. And uh, when he said, can you uh, tell your Sifu Richard Torres? And I'm thinking maybe he put this question when I released the episode of the interview I had with Richard Torres. Um, I even asked three people about this uh, question. I asked Sifu Richard Torres, uh, Sifu Alex Richter from uh, uh, City Wing Chun, and he actually asked also uh, John Little, which I was actually really honored that he did. He wrote all the, the books in the 90s, the Jeet Kune Do book, the, the Artist of Life book. Uh, he compiled all these books. So all three of them said the same thing about this question. Richard Torres said no. Alex Richter said no. John Little said no. So this fight never happened at all. Even with that, so let me get into how this story came about. All right, so I did my research and apparently uh, Travador Ramos, he was a Filipino or still a Filipino grand master. He came up with his own martial art called Trachma. Uh, Trachma means Travador Ramos, Asian Consolidated Martial Arts. That's a mouthful, right? So uh, he moved to Hong Kong in the early 1970s as a musician, not as a martial artist, as a musician. Now, there is a picture out there with uh, Ramos, Bruce Lee, and a couple people at a dinner table and met Bruce Lee. But this is where it gets a little sketchy. Ramos was introduced to Bruce Lee by a friend named Benny Liao. Now, Benny Liao, as per Ramos, uh, was the dubbed as the fastest son of Hong Kong. I, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but apparently he was a, a famous martial artist in Hong Kong at that time of Bruce Lee's, uh, uh, when Bruce was alive. So I even asked Alex Richter about this, if he knew a person named Benny Liao, never heard of him. So you come to think about how did this guy Ramos meet Bruce Lee? So if there was a Benny Liao, he wasn't famous for anything. 
So unless uh, Ramos was making Benny Liao, you know, bigger than what he was, Benny Liao told Bruce Lee apparently that uh, Ramos was a great Filipino martial artist. And then Bruce took upon himself to ask Ramos to spar with him or fight with him. What I've been hearing that Bruce never really challenged people openly like that, right? Because since at that time, Bruce was getting well-known in Hong Kong as a martial arts actor, right? You know, he's getting mobbed in the streets, you know? Now, do you know, do you know the, the rough year when um, Ramos would have known Bruce Lee to have this? Was Bruce already an actor or was he still teaching in the schools or was this even before then? It was definitely in the early 70s because he lived until 73. So it happened yeah. between 70 through 73. That's the okay. only time. So apparently uh, Ramos declined Bruce's invitation to spar. And I'm putting quote unquote spar, right? But apparently the next day, Ramos met with Bruce at a private fighting arena on Diamond Hill that was owned by Golden Harvest. Now Golden Harvest was a movie, a studio, right? Apparently they owned a fighting arena that was private, which really didn't jive with me. But this next statement by him, by Ramos, made everything a little skeptical about it, about this uh, type of fight. He said 100 people saw this fight. And quoting Ramos, he said, Bruce was fast, but I employed my music using offbeat and downbeat moves. I used rhythm and lots of imagination. I anticipated his moves and I was able to overcome him. <laughs> that sounds like what Bruce does. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of any, anything after or any type of news coming after Bruce passing away could yeah. be just tales of legends and, you know, an afterthought. Look, I'm not, you know, putting down uh, Ramos. I'm pretty sure he's a good martial artist. Unfortunately, I don't know if he's alive or he, he passed on, but, you know, I didn't really do that much research on him, but I did do research on this particular subject. And what it seems to me is just because he has a picture with Bruce Lee doesn't mean that he had a uh, private underground match with Bruce. And listen, I even asked Al Richter this. If 100 people saw this, then there should be 800 stories about this fight. Yeah, because, you know, each person's going to tell at least five people. Correct, correct. And, and even so, if Bruce told people not to say anything about this. They went around to every single person. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, let's, and let's say Ramos said the same thing. Don't say anything about this. Human beings, they're going to say something about it. It, it would be impossible. It'll for be very impossible. To say anything. Absolutely, there is no. I'd be the first. I'd be the first one calling up. Yo, uh, I saw this wicked fight. You have no idea. <laughs> that, that, see that? That's the thing. That's the thing. One person, or even one—I mean, one hundred people. At least, at, at least one hundred yeah. people saw this fight. So, what if you beat him? Let's say that if this was real. If this was real, then we would hear stories about it, right? at least. But then if it's not real, why would you go through the trouble of telling people that you beat Bruce Lee? 
and then it always comes to the fact that people want to claim the fame that even though that Bruce is not here and he can't say anything about it, that he beat Bruce Lee in the fight. Come on, it's that's just it's just hogwash. Even uh, John Little, uh, what Alex Richter told me that John Little said that if there was a fight that happened, if this fight actually truly happened between Bruce and Ramos, it would have been in the Hong Kong papers the next day because yeah. there is no way that people can shut their mouth and not say anything about this fight. If, Someone, if he was, if Bruce was already acting at this point, imagine if like I don't know, The Rock got into a fight with somebody. Right. And The Rock turned around and told everybody not to say anything. Do you think that that story wouldn't make it into the news, into the papers? Like, you it actually, would almost be impossible to keep that under wraps. Even if that's, even like I said, even if that's true, then Ramos would be famous at this point. But then, also think about this then, too. Bruce was still alive. Or even if he, let's say, he didn't admit that he fought with Ramos. Again, someone would say something to someone, and then they would ask Bruce this question publicly. So in terms of answering this question, no, I don't think this was real. It's a fact that Ramos did meet Bruce because there's a picture, but other him fighting or having the sparring match afterwards, no, I don't think so. So, okay, next question. Our, our next question is coming from an unknown. Oh. I have a feeling I, I have a feeling I know what uh, group he's from. Yeah. Um, the question is, what is it with you original Jeet Kune Do dudes hating on JKD concepts. Uh, Jesus. All right. I'm pretty sure that this question stemmed off from a podcast episode that I did with uh, Alex Richter from the Kung Fu Genius. And Alex asked me a question about JKD concepts and original JKD and why we're at war with each other and what's, what's the big deal and all this other stuff. However, now, a couple of days ago, Chris Kent. Chris Kent uh, was actually uh, a former student of Dan Inosanto. And Chris Kent, a couple of days ago, uh, released an article. It said, the evolution of the left lead stance in JKD. Before I answer this unknown's question, I'm going to back up a little bit on this. So what Chris Kent talked about in this article was the evolution of Jikundo under Dan Inosanto's watch. Okay. I'm going to say this many times. I am not discrediting Dan Inosanto's knowledge and abilities in martial arts. I just want to make that clear. I have a quick um, interject here. Sure. Just so we're not single out, singling out any one person. Right. Is, I know that Dan Inosanto is probably the most famous for JKD concepts, but is he the only one? Uh, let me say this. At this point, Dan Indesanto is the leading person in Jikundo, right? So people have to realize whatever Bruce was doing during his lifetime with Jikundo and what Jikundo is now is totally different. What did Dan do to make Jikundo? what it is right now and why didn't Bruce take it there when he was alive. So with this Chris Kent article, Chris Kent explains that after Bruce passed in 1974, Dan uh, opened up the school called the Filipino Kali Academy. He had Bruce's original students teaching there. 
for one, Richard Postillo. And he was an instructor in the Filipino Kali Academy. So apparently what I'm reading is Dan taught the higher level of Jeet Kune Do. Richard Postillo taught the second level. I think that's how it went. However, Richard Bustilla had a boxing background and his boxing background, he led with the left hand forward. If people don't know, Jeet Kune Do, the majority of people who study it are right-handed and that includes Bruce Lee. So Bruce Lee had all his students who were right-handed lead with the right hand in their stance. Now that doesn't mean that even if you were left-handed, Bruce had you to be on your right hand lead. That's not the case. Even today, whoever trains in quote unquote original Jeet Kune Do, if you're left-handed, you'll train in your left hand stance. If you're right-handed, you'll train in your right hand stance. And I also reiterate that with you guys when I teach Jeet Kune Do. For instance, Miguel, he's, uh, he's one of our left-handed fighters. I always tell him, stay on your left lead stance. And he always asked me, should I go on my right? No, you write with your left hand, leave your left hand dominant in front of you. And then obviously when I have you guys train with each other, I don't have him switch to a right hand stance because his partner is a right hand, uh, right handed. No, I always tell him stick to your left hand. So yeah. that would have a lot of uh, opportunity for you guys to train with somebody on the opposite stance of you. Yeah. Obviously, the majority of us were all right-handers. But then people who are listening to this or watching this don't get it twisted. You know, I do have some of you guys go on your left stance, and I have you guys go on your right stance. And almost right. everything we do, we practice on both sides. But correct, it's mainly for the right lead. Correct, correct. Or and even for the left-handers, it's the quite opposite. Yeah, reverse. Yep. Right. Um, so why did this change? Why did Dan allow this to change if, if Richard Postel was teaching everyone to go into their left lead? Why did this change? Dan was teaching everybody still on the right-hand lead. He was teaching trapping with the right stance. Um, and when I asked the question, when did this change? The late part of 1970s, in the 1970s, as per Chris Kent, Dan invited other martial artists to come to the school, mainly Thai boxers, Muay Thai boxers, and all of them trained on the left lead. And then what happens? Dan starts to train with them, then starts to switch to his left lead. And then he starts training people in Jikun Do in their left lead, all right? Now, all of a sudden, their dominant hand, whoever's a right-hand fighter, is now in the back, and they're not so dominant hand is in the in the front but when you started mixing in styles or taking styles from another martial art discipline into jikundo that gives me a signal meaning that the body mechanics has been lost or there was not, not enough explanation for body mechanics in jikundo but why was Jikundo changed from what Bruce was teaching until now? Why was it changed? And people saying, oh, it never changed. I'm like, yes, it did. If Chris Kent put out this type of article 
the evolution of left lead stance in JKD, then something changed at that time. Something changed from that point. You know, my teacher, Richard Torres, he goes on these uh, Facebook forums and he tries to shed light on quote unquote original Jikundo. And unfortunately, the majority of people that he interacts with are JKD concepts. And they bash him left and right, saying this, saying that. And then it's kind of like he's a man on his, on his own. You know, he's being attacked from all sides. But then when Chris Kent puts out an article like this, the evolution of the left lead stance, no one says anything. No one bats an eye. Great job, Chris. Great article. Thank you for posting. I'm pretty sure they read the whole article. But how come, they're not, how come I don't see anybody saying, what are you talking about? Dan never uh, had Richard Bill Stillo teaching this uh, left lead stance. It was always both of them. No one's saying this. I'm, I'm sorry I'm going into a rant, but then this is, this is the reality of it. So you're bashing Richard Torres for this, but you're not bashing Chris Kent for this. And then mind you, that Chris Kent is now, quote unquote, an original Jikundo martial arts instructor from Dan Inosanto's camp. Can you believe that? I know Chris. I don't know him well enough, but I know him from a martial arts standpoint. I've discussed with him you know, years back, and he knows his stuff. How come Chris Kent is not talking about taking martial arts here, talking martial arts here and putting it together, making a JKD? Why is he not talking about that? What, where, what happened there? Right? Okay, next question. Well, all right, I have a question about this question. Sure. Okay, so my spin on it was, um, how long has this so-called hate been going on is this something that's been generational that started like after bruce died or is it is this something that happened like right after bruce died or was it a generation later or was it something like more towards the 90s or more towards like now because i don't think it's a recent thing i really think that this is something that has been brewing for decades so this obviously happened after Bruce died. Yes. I was telling Alex that there was never an original JKD or JKD concept. There was never that. Even a few months or even to a year after Bruce died, no original JKD or JKD concepts. Somewhere along the line, it started to split. And, and how did that happen? How did a martial art that Bruce Lee developed for years split into two. It wasn't by somebody, Bruce. Somebody took liberty. Absolutely. Someone took liberty. So that begs another question. Why? Why did it split into two? How come all of a sudden this one person is teaching JKD from taking other martial arts and other Bruce Lee students at that time wasn't doing what Dan was doing? Why was Dan the only one doing this and not, and not Ted Wong and not Jerry Poteet? Why weren't they doing that? And Dan is, what, 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 I don't understand. What, what is that? You know, and when you have people like Richard Torres trying to shed the truth about, not about Dan, about what JKD concept is, people lose their minds. But then like, again, like I said, when a person like Chris Kent put out, puts out an article like this, everybody loves him. So if you had to put a decade on it, what would you say that the eighties? Eighties. 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 Yeah. Bruce. Bruce went in 73, so it's like seven years after, roughly. Roughly. You know? Yeah, roughly. Okay. I think um, when 
I have a feeling when instructional videos came out to play, that's when it started okay. to started to kind of split. That's, right. enough, that's, a, that's a big <laughs> rant for me, so. Yep. Okay. So this next one is from George. It's not so much a question, but a comment. Okay. It says, you should have a series on artifacts where you interview Bruce Lee memorabilia collectors around the world. Mm. Great interview with uh, Jeff Chin, by the way. Okay. Uh, shout out to uh, Jeff Chin. Yeah. I am planning to have some sort of series with uh, Bruce Lee memorabilia collectors, but I know I'll, a good handful of people who collect uh, Bruce Lee stuff. I believe there's a Perry, a Perry Lee. Actually, Perry Lee, um, he met Bruce Lee when he was young, only one time. And he told me a good story about that. I'd like to interview him too. But uh, yeah, I also like to have Jeff again too for a series like that. So, okay, next one. All right. So the next question is coming from Mark O. Mark O. Um, Okay, and the question is, why isn't there a JKD organization where real Jeet Kune Do can be enforced upon those who teach it wrong mm -hmm. or, or called out as frauds? Okay. Uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of instructors who teach JKD, and it looks like Wing Chun or kickboxing or just straight up nonsense from the movies. All right. Um, to answer this, if we're going to have a Jeet Kune Do organization, who's going to lead it? Who is going to be appointed to appoint the person to lead it, right? Uh, I know that you and I discussed this off camera, but you you mentioned Shannon Lee. <laughs> well, um, well, I, I mean, know. seriously, if if what other higher authority could there really be? If Shannon called you or somebody and was like, "Listen, you're doing this wrong. You have to do it the right way," tell me you wouldn't listen. Um, I don't know her knowledge of JKD, you know, I don't know her extension of her training, but I believe someone asked this to Shannon and Shannon said that she has no authority over Jeet Kune Do, you know, and I think for me personally, uh, she's right, but for her being involved of a Jeet Kune Do organization, I think it would give her a headache because of the fact that, like I said before, who's going to be yeah. the one to be Who ahead of the Right, yeah. he makes the call. So let's say Shannon, okay, so let's say Shannon appoints this person, this particular person to be the head of the JKD organization. What is this person's credentials? Who did he study under, right? Mm -hmm. How long was his training? What did he do to have Shannon make him the lead of the JKD organization? The it's JKD too many police. The JKT police. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, people have to realize that for us to have an organization, there has to be someone who has the knowledge, who has the ability to lead people into what Jikindo really is. Now, who actually really knows what Jikindo really, really is? Even original Jikindo instructors, they teach very differently than this next original Jikindo instructor or this JKD, a JKD instructor. And then we're talking about original Jikindo and JKD concepts. If and Shannon chooses- like two different, It's almost like two different things. Right. So if Shannon took someone from JKD, original JKD and not someone from JKD concepts, they'll be like, why, why, why are we excluded out and original JKD is in? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be like an yeah. over- bearing and over politicized type of even just picking one person 
People are saying Tommy Carruthers. Okay. Tommy Carruthers is a great martial artist, but there's a lot of people who don't agree with what he teaches. And I'm not excluding my teacher, Sifu Richard Torres, great teacher, great martial artist. There's not a lot of people who agree with his teaching. I mean, there's uh, Lamar Davis, there's George Hasnasser. They, they're a great martial artist, Jikondo instructors, but a lot of people don't agree with what they're teaching. We have to find one person who all of us collectively, original JKD, JKD concepts, to all follow and agree that we could follow this one particular person to lead Jikondo and this JKD organization. And that's probably where a big problem would come in because a lot of people wouldn't agree on a single person. Absolutely. Yeah. And who's going to do that? Yeah. We have a lot of biased people. Say, oh, no, now, my, te my teacher should but do now, this. But now what about, but now what about, what about the, um, well, let me see how he worded this. Ah. And what about the people who are just doing straight up nonsense from the movies? I <laughs> They teach you the yell. They teach yeah. you exactly where to put your finger. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, we should, we should just put them in charge and see how that goes. <laughs> I don't think they should ever be shut down. They give us everything to laugh at. It's it's amazing. <laughs> they, they give they give us things to not to do. Yeah. yeah so. <clears throat> to answer that question, we need to find someone first before we could put up a JKD organization. And that's a lot of energy. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Who's going to lead? So that's why there's no JKD organization because I'm going to be really honest. All instructors have egos. They, they all think that this Jikindo is better than this person Jikindo or so on and so forth. And then you have original JKD and JKD concepts. Everyone thinks they're right in the war. Correct. So that's the reason why there is no JKD organization because everybody's just egotistical. It's going to be a big mess. And it's still, till this day, that's the reason why there's no JKD organization. So, all right, next question. This one is from an unknown. And this one is another one that is not so much a question as it is just a comment. Okay. Um, the person said it was a great review of The Warrior because huh. of your podcast. They watched season one and they're almost done with season two. Mm. And their favorite characters are Assam, Lee Young, and Young Jun. Ah. And they can't wait for your review for season two. Yeah. Uh, so when when do you think a season two uh, review will be coming? I was discussing this on uh, the podcast with, uh, when Brandon was on. And my plan is to have... Uh, let's say one episode of season two, meaning season two, episode one, we're going to have one episode of that. And then the next episode later, we'll we have season two, episode two for one episode. So we're going to have uh, separate episodes for separate episodes of the Warriors. Individual. Correct. The reason why we only had season one, review as a whole collective was because I felt like season one was already in the past, meaning that it was like two years ago. Yeah. And I felt like we should just ha have a good review about the characters, about what we thought about the 
episodes, our favorite episodes, and what we think uh, moving forward of how we're going to approach each other episodes for season two in the future for the podcast. For season two, like I stated to Brandon, I'm going to state it to you, season season one of Warrior, great. Season two, woo, fire. So <laughs> I, I know you're trying to catch up with uh, Warrior. Yeah, I haven't gotten to season two yet. Yeah, so when you get so. to season two, man, that it will take yeah. off like like that. Yep. You'll, do, you'll be like, wow, that was a great season two. And I'm glad that they said yes to season three because- Oh, that's uh, awesome. I didn't I didn't even know that uh, season three was a go. Yeah, so um, season one and two was uh, original Cinemac series. Okay. Right. So basically uh, they were contracted for season one and season two only. And since season two was fire, great. And they demanded season three. Uh, however, nothing was done about it until we found out that the Warrior uh, television series was moved to HBO Max. Now everybody's starting to watch it because not a lot of other people watched it because it was on it was still on Cinemax. So no one had okay. Cinemax. Yeah, I didn't have Cinemax. Yeah, there was no way that I was going to watch it until, if it came out on DVD. That was the only way I was going to watch it. But now it came on HBO Max and I watched it and everybody else in the world watched it. Now they demanded season three. Yeah. And guess yeah. what? They said yes to season three. And now it's going to be, instead of a Cinemax original, now it's going to be an HBO Max original series. Same uh, writers, directors? Could be, yeah. Same, obviously, okay. same actors. So we'll see what yeah. happens in season three. Because I would love to see another fight with Assam and uh, Lee Young. Like the way that they did in the tournament. Because I'm yeah. pretty sure they had like a... Uh, unfinished business because oh yeah you know, yeah because Lee Young was supposed to kill Assam until the cops came in and shut everything down so I thought that was um spoiler alert right <laughs> <laughs> for the people who didn't watch it yet so so yeah that's the, that's the plan of what we can do on the nucleus initiative just to yeah it's awesome. do each individual uh episodes of season two of warrior so we can have episodes to yeah. talk about yeah. right and then when season three comes, we can just talk about season three as well. All right. Awesome. Okay. Next question. The next question comes from uh, By Long Forty Five. By Long. And he, um, the question is, would like to hear more about Sifu Benitez's thoughts on the lead hand. Mm. Uh, lots of other fighters say to put the dominant hand in the back since the front hand acts as defense. Mm -hmm. This question actually came from the comment section of the podcast I was with uh, Alex Richter, the Kung Fu genius. And I read that comment too, uh, or that question. And to answer by long, I'll reiterate of what I said on uh, Alex's podcast that in Jeet Kune Do, in Bruce's notes, the right hand will be the one that's in front of you. That's the power side forward. Meaning that whatever hand that you write with will be the one that's in front of you. And the rear hand, which is the left hand, if you're a right-handed fighter, will be in the back, meaning that will help you defend and that will protect your center line. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what fencing looks like, right? And fencing, whenever they engage with each other, they engage with one hand only, right? So if Bruce Lee researched fencing, he saw that the stance is not deviated, meaning that whenever you engage with someone in fencing, in terms of fencing, you don't take 
the foil from your right hand, which is the dominant hand in front of you, and switch it to the left hand and engage with that person, meaning that you don't keep switching your foil all the times you attack. That's deviating from your stance, meaning the only thing that we have to protect while we're in our stance is the center line. Now, there's a lot of people or a lot of martial artists have their center lines forward, exposing what Bruce Lee wrote in his notes and his idea of where the center line should be is should be away from the opponent. When your center line is away, your lead hand will be the one attacking. And you can do more with your right hand, just like fencers do, to attack. If you're thinking about power-wise, meaning that you're having your dominant hand in the back and shooting it out from the back to go forward will cause more of an efficient effect to your opponent. You can still give that efficient effect to your opponent even if your lead hand is in front of you to be shot out because it now is halfway to your opponent. If you bring your hand back, you're now moving a, your longest weapon away from your opponent. Now people are saying, how can you generate power from your lead hand being where it is if you don't bring it back? I'm like, listen, obviously the power comes from the hips. It comes from the core. How would Bruce pull off the one inch punch or the four, what is it, the four inch punch? One inch punch, six inch punch. Well, he only had inches to generate power and momentum. So from four inches, how are you going to hit somebody and generate any kind of power if you're only four inches away? So if it can apply to four inches, it's definitely going to apply from back here all the way to right. up there. Look at Bruce as an example. If Bruce can generate that power with one inch from that opponent with his lead hand in front of him, there's your... Uh, evidence right there. And people don't don't believe that you can generate power from just having your lead hand in front of you. Well, you have Bruce Lee, you have Ted Wong, Dan Inosanto, Jerry Pochi, all of other Bruce's students hitting with the lead hand and generate generating great power. So you tell me that they're wrong. There's your evidence right there. And people don't <laughs> and people don't actually read, but in the Dao Jeet Kune Do, Bruce put 90% lead, 10% rear. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but then why did he write that? Right? So people have to realize that if you're going to learn Jikundo, read Bruce's notes. So, okay, next question. This next question comes from Harold H. Harold. And he's asking, yeah, Harold H. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on Bruce Lee being the grandfather of MMA? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, a lot of people ask me this question too. There are other martial artists before Bruce that was already mixing martial arts together. All right. So I don't understand how Bruce was the focal point of being a grandfather of mixed martial arts. Because you had people like Gene LaBelle you know, fighting boxers. If we're talking about mixed martial arts, like as in UFC or the Bellator, Gene LaBelle was already doing that. He was, I believe, judo uh, instructor, teacher, even martial artist. And he was fighting somebody in the ring who was a boxer. So why isn't anyone naming Gene LaBelle the grandfather of mixed martial arts? Now, if we're going down the line of uh, mixed martial arts from a Jeet Kune Do standpoint or a Bruce Lee standpoint, uh, Bruce Lee never wrote in his notes or even said that 
uh, you can mix all these martial arts and make this your own JKD. If we're talking about within that uh, that line, I would say Dan Inosanto is the grandfather of mixed martial arts because he gave the idea from JKD concepts to take this martial arts, take that martial arts and put them all together. This question is coming from Baker from Texas. If oh, JKD Texas. is not a if JKD is not a mixed martial art, then why did Bruce Lee choose Wing Chun, boxing, and fencing as the base of his creation. People got to realize that the evolution of Bruce, meaning that he doesn't stay at one particular area, and that's the end all be all. So you got to see where Bruce was saying this at this time. Most likely he was saying this at maybe in the mid to late 60s. But then he wasn't saying that in the early 70s, right? So his mindset changed. For him, having these three as a base or a foundation of Jeet Kune Do. In the beginning, yes. Reason why, obviously, he chose fencing was because of the stance. It didn't deviate from the center line. It doesn't make you switch leads. He chose uh, boxing because it's aliveness. And, uh, and also, that's where sparring came in because they use protection, gloves, they go all out. And then with Wing Chun is because he was already learning Wing Chun previously before those two. And that's more of a close range combat. But he felt that Chi Sao was out and sparring was in. That didn't necessarily mean take out Chi Sao and never do it all, you know, never do it again. There's a reason why Chi Sao is important, or one of the things that, are, that is important in Jeet Kune Do. Not saying that it is the end all be all, even sparring is not the end all be all. People say sparring is close to fighting. Yes, that's even what Bruce said but it's not fighting, right? It's, it's a different realm. The intensity yeah. is much more, the right. hits are a lot harder. Your intent is to take the person down, right? take them out, Yep. and uh, then be out. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the thing too, because uh, sparring will help you uh, help out with your attributes, right? Will help you yeah. out with the distance, will help you out you know, by throwing or executing all the tools that you've been taught. Right. The reflexes. The reflexes, correct. You know, the yep. evasiveness, the parries. And then, you know, what we do also, you know, when we spar is I have, you guys do a round robin. You have mm -hmm. one person stay and stay and spar with you for a minute. And then the next person will come in next. And, you know, you stay sparring with the next person. And then the next person comes in. So, I like you know, the fifth person, I'm like puffing and puffing. <laughs> but but, but that, that teaches you adaptability. You know, yeah, even, yeah. even if the per the next person comes in fresh and he's and it builds up your endurance when you're when you Correct. do it for so long, you Correct. know, builds up the endurance. This way, this way, you're not like you know dropping dead after the second person, right. you know, right? <laughs> but that that's the whole deal. I mean, people think that because Bruce chose these three combative arts, that they, it it takes little parts of boxing, you know, like the boxer's jab right? Or the fencer's stance or the Wing Chun traps. You know, and this is kind of funny too. When people do concepts, I'm going to, I'm going to go towards this. When people do concepts, they always teach, okay, guys, let's do the Muay Thai kick. All right. Okay, guys, we're going to, uh, we're going to do the boxer's jab. Okay. We're going to do some Wing Chun trapping. I hope they realize that people who study Muay Thai they don't call it a Muay Thai kick. I hope people realize that when people who train in boxing 
they don't call it a boxer's jab. Same thing with Wing Chun. When people train in Wing Chun, they don't call it Wing Chun trapping. So what I'm trying to say is that if you're in China and you're a Chinese, you don't call out for Chinese food. You call out <laughs> for food, right? So saying, what I'm saying is Chinese people don't call Chinese food in China. They just call it food, right? So why is it that people who train in other disciplines for other disciplines have to reiterate what type of kick it is from that discipline? Well, I don't understand why do we have to put that discipline of that word in front of that tool, right? Why, why is that? That's the actual real question that this person should be asked. You know, and, and like what all the time that we train, okay, let's, let's train on the straightly punch. I don't call it the jikundo straightly punch, right? Oh, let's work on interception. Oh, okay, let's work on the jikundo interception. I don't call this that, you know what I mean? It, these are just words. So people, what I'm thinking that these people are doing is they're trying to learn other martial arts discipline to get to the root of particular tools. So a person would say, I have to learn the boxer's jab to know the root of the punch. And that I'm like, okay, so instead of going straight to the root of punching, you would rather go to the branch of the punching, which is boxing, just to understand the root. Why can't we just go to the root of punching? My teacher, Asipa Richard Torres told me, he's like, you don't have to go to jail to know what freedom is, right? Meaning that I don't need to go and learn boxing to know what punching is. And that's, that's the problem here. People want to go and look at the branches. Oh, look, this is nice. But they don't want to go to the root because it's dug deep all the way to its origin. Why can't we just go dig through and find the root? It just doesn't make sense. It's like going backwards. So any more questions? Uh, I have you, a question. What's your question? All right. Mine's not so martial arts-ish. Okay. Um, where do you think Bruce would have gone? He started out when he came here, opening martial arts school, developing the martial arts. He basically was a, a philosopher. He had materials to write a bunch of books. Right. He um, eventually closed his schools and started um, acting in movies. Um, based on that trajectory, where do you think if he had not died, he would have gone? I think um, he would have continued with acting. So okay. you, have, you have to realize that he was, um, before Enter the Dragon, he was working on Game of Death. Okay. And then he started working on Enter the Dragon. Once Enter <laughs> the Dragon was done, he went back to, to the Game of Death and started filming or was going okay. to film and then unfortunately he passed on so my thing is that if he didn't pass away he would still be in action movies he would still be yep. making 
he would be still making movies. He would be an actor. Do you think that he would have like had his own like um, studio where he yeah. could basically make his own kind of movies? To, he, actually, he actually to had break a... away from to break away from the restriction of what's the word I'm looking for um, from other uh, uh, movie product uh, production or movie. Yeah, studios. yeah, you know exactly like stereotypes and all that um, other restrictions, yeah, so racism he... and stuff like that, where people were. Basically, they, you know, he got denied a lot of roles because he wasn't able to, to speak right the way right. he looked, you know, right. I bet you if he had his own studio, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be restricted by any of that. Yeah. So he had, you know? um, he had his own production com company called Concord Production. Okay. Yeah. And um, Kim and Death was one of the movies that he was working on. So uh -huh. you're right. So he was he was his own he was the actor he was the lead actor okay. he was the writer okay. he yeah so people don't know know, uh, know this about bruce but bruce is he when he researched something he researched it yeah. um everyone uh knows about the picture of bruce in front of his library of books right okay and yeah. one of the books that he has in that library was uh production movie production <laughs> he had to learn about, he read about lighting, uh, the camera, actors, all this uh, screenplay and writing. He learned all of that. When he put his mind into something, it's going to be projected to the point where this is the product, right? I did this, right? Bruce was that type of person to go 100% of what he's doing, right? He's not going to go half-ass, right? He's going to go... 100%, right? And if you go 100%, you got to know what you're doing. So you have to do research, right? Um, in terms of him moving forward, I believe he would still be doing movies, okay. right? And, and in terms of martial art, I would say private lessons. I don't think he would mm -hmm. have, I don't think he would have a school at all. Because I think he was done with that in the States. Yeah. But he was focusing more on his movie career in Hong Kong. It's not like mm -hmm. he, it's not like, you know, he moved to Hong Kong just to teach Jeet Kune Do. I think, yeah. I think him teaching Jeet Kune Do stopped there, right? But Ted Wong or Herb Jackson, Dan Inosanto, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they even went to Hong Kong. They trained with Bruce a little bit, but not like in a class format. I wonder if he'd be writing movies too. Like for other for other actors for other martial artists to come in and make a name oh, under you know, his like under his story, so he still like is doing like he's part of it, you know. But he's not like you know in in in, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Jackie Chan has his own stunt team. I wouldn't be really? surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce Lee had his own stunt team or fight team. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, a lot of Jackie Chan's movies. All the stunts, even though he's an older gentleman right now, he has other people doing stunts. You know, under his wing, under his tutelage. Yeah. So if Jackie Chan can do that, why not Bruce? Yeah. Bruce Bruce could have his own fight team or stunt team and working in other movies for yeah. other production companies. Right? I'm pretty sure if he was alive today, he would be known the way Jackie Chan is. 
But you know, you have to also realize Jackie Chan wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bruce. So if Jackie Chan made it during Bruce's time, if he was alive, he wouldn't be as famous as Bruce. I'm telling you that, unfortunately. But because Bruce passed away, it helped Jackie Chan immensely. His career shot up because they're trying to put Jackie Chan as the next Bruce Lee, but then Jackie Chan showed him that, you know, I'm not the next Bruce Lee, I'm the first Jackie Chan. Yeah, right? I love, and I listened to an interview on him and I actually love his take on it. He's like, Bruce Lee is like a superhero. He's like, you can't hurt him, he can't be hurt. You can't knock him down, you can't beat him. He's like right. me, he's like, I get hurt. And it's funny because yeah. he watches movies and he's always getting hurt and you're yeah. like, and it works for him. And it's yeah. like, he, it was like the perfect, it's almost like he like learned from Bruce right. how to go his own way. You know what I mean? By, right. okay, this is what he does. It works for him. I have to find my own thing. And it's like, you know. I mean, with Jackie Chan, um, he, he is the first to uh, truly admit that he's just an average guy. Yeah. Right. Like all the time that, uh, uh, he said that all the time that Bruce uh, hits a person on film, he's like, Rrr! and then all the time that in his films that jacket hits a person, he's like, ah, like he shakes yeah, his hands, like, ah, yeah. Hand. <laughs> so that's it, it. It shows that you know Jackie Chan knows that you can't be like Bruce Lee, but yeah. you know you could be an after person and fight like Bruce, but then you have to show that, hey, my hand hurts. Yeah, by hitting it's, somebody it's the in the face, it's the real. And he also, it, and it also adds a, a comedy like sense to yeah. it as well. So yeah. it's like you're watching action that has mixed with comedy, and you know, right? But okay, yeah. all right. So um, we are at the end of the podcast. I um, actually have one last question. Okay, what's your last question? Who is the master? <laughs> 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 I would like to say show enough. <laughs> I'm actually going to the prettiest. <laughs> show enough. Who is the that, that is actually a classic. I actually met uh Ty Mock. Uh That's while, amazing. Yeah, a while back and um my wife met him too. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so we we took pictures with Ty Mock and it, it was actually at the Comic-Con in New York. Oh, and awesome. yeah, he had, um, I don't know if you remember, he had that, uh, the gold medallion that his teacher gave him. Oh, yeah, yeah. That looks like a belt buckle. He had it there on the yeah. table. I'm like, oh, did you, he? I was like, are you selling this? I was like, of course. I'm like, I don't have no money. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, man. I was like, I'm sorry, you don't have any money. I was like, I would have got this. I was like, this is so incredible. So yeah, you could use it as a belt, a belt buckle. And we laughed. I was like, oh, that's wow. funny. That's funny. <laughs> All right, so now yep. we're at the end of the podcast. We have the last words. Uh, do you have any last words? No? Keep on kicking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I'm gonna have the last word. So I just wanna end off this uh, episode um, just to clear the air. I have no, no bad feelings or bad intentions anyone who is learning JKD concepts. I know a lot of people who do uh, JKD concepts. I'm not putting them down. I am only investigating of why there is a JKD concepts. 
right? I'm in, also investigating why there's an original JKD. Because like I said before, and, and everybody else who knows what JKD is, that before Bruce died, there was never original JKD or JKD concepts. I wanna know what happened. I wanna know why did this particular person felt that taking other martial arts disciplines and putting into JKD and calling it JKD. And even saying, this is what we call JKD blend. I'm like, okay, you call that JKD blend, but Bruce Lee never said there was a JKD blend. How come if this person is teaching this and the other uh, people who are Bruce's students are not teaching it? Why is that? So my last words for this episode is, if you feel that it's wrong, try to find out why it's wrong. Dig deep into that investigation because you can't have people blindly following you and not give any sort of history or any sort of instructions, right? You just like, for instance, like between you and me, like we discussed before, you ask questions. Just don't say yes, 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 like yes. Like I'm doing right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, everyone, this is our Q and A uh, episode. And I'm pretty sure after this episode, I'm going to get a lot of questions. So we're going to have a series of Q and A's and I'm going to have uh, Ivan ask these questions because I, I'm, you know, he's a pretty good moderator and ask these, these questions <laughs> and I'll answer them to the best of my abilities. So if you have any questions or comments, you can email them at the nucleus initiative at gmail.com uh, to listen to our past episodes, anchor.fm slash nucleus initiative. And Thank you guys for joining us. All right. So, um, Ivan, again, thank you. And everybody else, have a good one. All right. After Bruce passed away, Bruce is not take a turn and twist. It's not, not his art anymore. Okay. They call it chicken or concept. Concept, basically, they took Bruce's idea and applied to many different art. And that become chicken, though. In fact, even saying that there's no, no chicken, only a concept, okay, only a philosophy.